Welcome back. Continuing our conversation, I'm joined by best-selling author Todd Brewster. Todd Brewster, welcome back to the Public Morality Show. Good to have oh, you here. It's my great pleasure, as always, Byron. I love being on your show. When you look at our current moment, given your knowledge of American history, how concerned are you about the fragility of American democracy right now? Um, I would say I'm uh, quite concerned about it, but I'm concerned about it in a way that um, may be a little bit different than some of the other people you've asked the, about this question. It's not only American democracy that I'm I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about democracy in general. I'm concerned about whether we reached one of those hinge moments in, in history, not just American history, but history, where um, uh, the, the changes that are emerging are going to be transformative, um, and they'll transform not only the way we live and the way that we um, relate to one another, uh, but they will change uh, some of the fundamental assumptions that we all have carried for a good long time. Um, you know, the the writer um, Ishiguro, uh, I remember his first name, uh, 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 Kiyo, I think is, and Ishiguro, the novelist who just won the Nobel Prize a few years ago, um, uh, said, um, I just read this the other day, and, I, and it, it stuck with me, the unstoppable advance of liberal humanist values I'd taken for granted since childhood may have been an illusion and you know that's sort of where we all are i think we were all kind of stunned by um the illiberal quality of uh the public life right now the fact that um uh that there's challenges to um school curriculums um on the basis of trying to ban books and trying to um, a ban the teaching of certain uh, historical um, uh, concepts or theories um, is illiberal. Um, it, it, of course, has been going on for most of American history, and it's gone on throughout the world. Uh, but there's something different about this moment. It feels like we're we're entering into a kind of illiberal, and by that, of course, I don't mean liberal in the modern sense of liberal and conservative. I mean liberal in terms of the the entire American experiment, including. Uh, notions of free speech and of pluralism and of um, uh, the pursuit of knowledge and the the enlightenment concepts um, around the uh, sanctity of science and and of education and of the pursuit of knowledge. Th these are all things that we've taken for granted for so long as being central to not only the American way of life, but to the Western way of life in particular and into the way of life in in in, in other parts of the world um uh that are are able to um have embraced this idea of liberalism in the its historic understanding of that term uh for a few centuries now really certainly since the the um the rise of the of the enlightenment in the in the 1600s and 1700s and of course the establishment of america's the great enlightenment project was Make, makes us focus so much on our life here. So I, I'm concerned about it. I'm very concerned. And I'm concerned, though, more from are we here hitting one of those historical moments when all the tectonic plates are shifting, right? That it's not just that we're having a moment where people are challenging election results for spurious reasons and um, there's um, people moving into positions of power that 
uh, who, who would undermine basic elements of American democracy. Those are certainly symptoms of what I'm seeing more broadly. Um, but I think we are seeing a worldwide shift that is um, uh, counter to those great principles. I, I would add one other thing here too, Byron, if I may go on just a little bit longer. Please, please. Um, you know, it, uh, Rarely have we had a moment. I mean, we think of we think of democracy as being you know, self rule. Obviously, that's one of the fundamental elements of it is um, that we are in, we we are in charge of our own destiny. At least in as in as much as we as fate would allow us to. Well, um, so much has happened in through technology. You know, this is one of my my favorite topics. But so much has happened technologically in the past uh, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Um, that changes the nature of our life and the way that we communicate with others. And so much of that has been governed by the free market and governed by merely the uh, exponential shift in scientific and technological knowledge and the basic elements, you might say then, of of our lives as Americans or our lives as, as Westerners in particular are things that we never voted for, right? Yet they dominate the way that we, we relate to one another. You cannot be a citizen of the 2020s and not have one of these devices nearby. Uh, uh, you, you could be a Luddite or whatever and, and refuse it all and go live in a shack in the woods somewhere. But if you want to be a participant in, in in modern life in any way even in the most um, subsistence level you do need a cell phone you need access to the internet you need to be able to um uh, uh communicate uh, through the technologies that have become dominant in our time and yet we did not and, and yet and these are transformative technologies too right i mean they've changed the way that we are as people they've changed our the way we the way that we congregate the way that we communicate with one another we never voted for them. You know, they, they are dominant in our lives. They are things that we must do every day that are associated with these technologies, and they're changing who we are as a society. But we did not vote for it. They have more power than business. They have more power than government. And yet we did not vote for them. So I, I worry about that basic element of democracy, self-rule, when we look at how much of our lives in 2023 are governed by the march of technology, the exponential march of technology, the speed with which things are changing. When um, you were giving your answer, I was thinking about H.L. Mencken's uh, famous quote, for every uh, complex question, there's an answer that's clear, simple, and wrong. And um, the, the level of complexity um, certainly is, is unprecedented, um, as you say. But, you know, Todd, I guess I'm wondering also that um, would you, given your last answer, would you also suggest that I mean, we seem to have a real lack of confidence in our public institutions? So, so those variables that you just outlined, would you, would, would you attribute those to the sort of erosion of, 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 our, of our public institutions, like any branch of government, you know, the, the FBI used to have a wonderful uh, uh, approval rating. I mean, so, I mean, it, so, so your last answer, do you attribute those things as well to these, 
our lack of confidence in our public institutions now? Well, I, I, I think the lack of confidence in our public institutions is complex. Um, I, I talked about the march of technology moving extremely rapidly. I mean, the generations used to be measured in decades. Now they're measured in really five or 10 year increments, maybe even smaller segments than that. Um, so I, I, I see that the speed of technology and the way that it's changing our lives um, and, and compare that with the, with this, this, the sort of state institutions that have been central to American life for 250 years. And I, and I see a public frustrated by the inability of those institutions to respond to the, to the, to the way that, that life is changing. And that, the laws, for instance, have not caught up with the technology. Uh, the law remains a very slow process for reasons that we, as Americans, have always embraced for its deliberate nature, its its protection of rights, and its seeking of the truth. Um, uh, but in in our time, we we are demanding something uh, quicker, and um, um, uh, and we feel a certain urgency that that our institutions are not providing. Um, so I, I think that's one aspect of it. Certainly that the speed of change has made these old and, and, uh, very respectable institutions look like they are, that time has passed them by. Um, I, I think there's a, a lack of confidence in our institutions too, when people just feel more dissatisfied with life right now, uh, than I recall in my time on this planet. I mean, I, it really feels as though no matter how much technological change we have and the benefits that that technological change has brought, there's a dissatisfaction with it. There's a dissatisfaction with the way that it has transformed our lives and the things that we have lost. Um, you know, I was, I was sitting, uh, in a hospital room yesterday, um, for reasons I won't go into, I was not the patient, but I was sitting in a hospital room and, 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 um, someone came in to the room and, and his, role was to to change the curtain in the in the in the room and um he came and he uh, as he was on a ladder changing the curtain he was talking and he was not talking to us um not talking to the patient not talking to me not talking to any the nurses or anybody who was coming in and out of the room he was talking to somebody on his cell phone um and uh he finished his switch of the curtain and he left you know, even five or 10 years ago, uh, certainly 20 years ago, that kind of experience would have would have provided the opportunity for an interaction. You know, uh, we would have engaged the the this worker in in some kind of conversation, even if it was only pleasantries. But instead, he was merely a sort of function of the moment. Um, and he was our conversation was preempted by the fact that he had a he had a different another another relationship going on at that moment a technological one provided by technology i should say that that um uh, made made the one uh, between us uh subservient to that now that's just a tiny tiny example but we are really living through technology on multiple planes and um the kind of human interaction that that we i think thrive on as human beings is being sacrificed for the the technological and we, we find ourselves just kind of dissatisfied by that um for reasons that we can't quite put our fingers on and more importantly what i alluded to in my first answer 
we don't feel in control of whether we have that opportunity or not. So there's a dissatisfaction, I think, in general, and we don't know where to put it, who to blame, that is. And we in turn start to blame our leaders and our institutions as being unsatisfactory. I mean, I'm, I'm th- thinking also, for instance, of the, you know, the the following of Donald Trump by so many, a large percentage of the American population. It may not be a majority or even near majority, but there's a solid base there that I believe is committed to him, not for anything he did while president or would propose to do while president, but because he is their spokesman. He's an angry man who is confident in his anger, who asserts that the 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 America that he knew has disappeared and he wants to make America great again. That impulse, that feeling of like, if things are not good now, we are not a happy society right now. We are not a, a um, comfortable society right now. That feeds into this sense of um, dissatisfaction with our institutions. You know, 300, 300 episodes ago, or 299 episodes ago, I closed And congratulations my... to you on your 300th episode. This is a, thank, a, thank quite, you. a quite a milestone, yes. I, I close that show by saying uh, that we will frustrate you because we, we will not provide definitive answers. That's not the goal of this program. Um, and you just amplified that, um, that um, the complexities um, that um, engulf us um, and in this moment um, can feel overwhelming. My friend, Todd Brewster, I want to thank you so much for just taking a few minutes to join me today on the public around. It's been much appreciated. It's my great pleasure, Byron, as always, always. You have such a great show. I would like to end this broadcast with a final word. As I mentioned earlier, this is our 300th episode. I would like to also announce WSNC under the leadership of General Manager Brian Anthony is taking the public morality into national syndication. This is a tremendous honor that could not possibly have come to fruition with my efforts alone. I would like to also acknowledge the Public Morality team, producer Jim Steele, and sound engineer Phil Allen. For 300 episodes, our goal has been, and will continue to be for the next 300 and beyond, to provide you with many of the nation's leading thinkers. Not to tell you what to think, but to provide content so that you can reach a judicious conclusion for yourself about the challenges facing our common life. 300 episodes ago, the public rally was an idea, a belief that in our current public discourse, too often dominated by who can speak loudest with veiled certainty, not necessarily burdened by accuracy, there was still space for nuance and circumspection for the nation's public morality housed in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Emancipation Proclamation. I want to thank you, the many listeners and supporters, for proving us right. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Those listening to the public rally on WSNC can also listen on its app. Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click open to listen from anywhere. The Public Rally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at the Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.